Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. It looks like your luggage is over 50 pounds. Is there anything you can take out? Oh, yeah. Let me just toss all these $20 bills. Great. Let me grab you a trash can. Stop. Instead of throwing money away, move some clothes into a carry-on. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Hello, this is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and welcome to the Goldmine Magazine podcast again. And this episode, we'll be interviewing Martin Popoff. Martin is a longtime contributor with Goldmine, and Martin has his latest book out, Pink Floyd, album by album. And we're just going to get Martin on the phone here, and then continue with our interview. Hello. Mr. Martin. How you doing? How are you? Oh, doing all right. Okay, so to start, um, you're, you're pumping out books at a, a <laughs> what a rate. It's almost like you're um, an android. You're, you're just pumping these out and doing such quality work. Um, how How is it that you switch gears from a band like The Clash to Pink Floyd to Iron Maiden? Well, I guess the funny thing is, is that um, they're all more or less in the same time frame. So if you have, if you have sort of a divergent or you know varied tastes, anyways, um, it's almost like the time period that they're in and, and my age and all of that lines up even more importantly than than what the bands are. So it's it's pretty easy. I mean, I'm a big punk fan. I'm a big prog fan. I'm a big metal fan. Yes. Um, you know, I, I definitely can't write a book on jazz or country or classical or hip hop or pop or you know so. So, so there's a lot of things I can't do. I, I suppose I'm just just more or less a classic rock fan. But and, and it's a funny thing. I mean, I, I think there should be a word for this. But there's there's a kind of nostalgia, and there's a lot of people my age, um, you know, uh, that that have sort of debated this. And I've seen some newspaper articles about it where. Um, there's certain age, they, they did a study in, in all across Europe to see what age do people stop getting into new music. And it varies between about 30 and even up into the low 40s kind of thing. Mm. But one of the comments is, is that there's enough music from my era from a long time ago that I paid no attention to that I could study for the rest of my life until my dying days. That's that true. is essentially new music, but it happens to be music from back then. So it's almost like, it's almost like an archaeologist running around, you know, uh, in, in, in some ruins and continuing to find stuff that's new, but it's old at the same time. 
So that's that's how I I can I can get into all these different bands, I suppose. Yep. I mean, essentially, I was going to ask you, how do you sleep, but you know. <laughs> You know, pe- people think this is a lot of books, and I suppose it is a lot of books, but it is my, my more or less full-time job. I love writing I for Goldmine, and I do a little bit for Brave Words and a little bit for Jab and Classic Rock Revisited, but, and, and I work for Banger Films a little bit, but essentially yeah. most of what I do is, is these books. And, and I do have sort of this, this cache of uh, interviews where, um, you know, there are cer- certain bands that I have enough stuff on that I think, well, now it's time to do a book on, or I have this situation where I'm, I'm taking some of my older out-of-print stuff and repurposing it. So it's funny, someone put on Facebook the other day, you know, a picture of my new UFO book, Lights Out, and, and it just dawned on me that, that I, I've now three times done a book where I've done a book on a band, but now I'm doing a book on just the first 10 years of that band. Yeah. So I did that with UFO. I did that with Riot right off the bat. I just basically called it Riot's Classic First Decade or something and just did, did the early days. And now my old Judas Priest book that, that's been out of print for ages, um, I'm now going to uh, put it out called Decade of Domination and literally just do up until the end of um, uh, Defenders of the Faith. Oh, that, you know yeah. I'll be into that one. Cool. Um, so I guess, well, first of all, you at first you were known as a, sort of a heavy metal writer, and you began in I think your first book was ninety three. Is that correct? 93? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I so you a book of record reviews. Yeah. And so now you're breaking into other genres, like you said, prog and uh, punk, which I love because uh, as someone who started out as a heavy metal writer, I. I I think that uh, it's hard to keep on doing the same genre over and over again, and yeah. uh, I'm uh, I'm eclectic uh, as far as my listening, and um, I know you are somewhat too. I mean, there's like you said, there's lots to discover, um, and you know, as far as classic rock, yeah, it surprises you. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you with Pink Floyd, um, what made you think of Pink Floyd? I mean, Pink Floyd. So much has been done on them already, and this is, leads up to my next question. Um, I'm wondering if that's why you chose to do it in a way where you let rock journalists and musicians speak. Um, you know, kind of like take the, especially musicians, because musicians have a lot to say that people, you know, they ask them who, what your influence is, but to let them go off on a, a particular band is kind of cool. Yeah, that's what I like about this concept. And you're right, a lot's been done on Pink Floyd. But but the you know the, the main nuts and bolts way that Pink Floyd happens is that you know I, I work back and forth with uh, with Dennis, my my contact at at Voyager, and we and we bat back and forth which ba- which bands can we do, which bands you know is there enough market for that we can sell this, and it, there's all sorts of things like foreign rights, and um, you know how will this sell in Australia right. and Japan, and and you know what foreign language things can we get. So, so basically, bands go through a, a process there where they all basically put in the most educated guests they can, you know, everybody at the company and asking people which ones uh, can sell. Pink Floyd just happened to be one of those. But you're right. One of the cool things about this concept, um, this album by album series, is that um, – Every studio, it, it's only the studio albums. It's, uh, you know, an intro by me and, and all the credits. And then we're into a Q&A with two people per album, sometimes three and even up to four. In fact, you know, as, as the concept's evolving, it's, it's almost turning out to be three people per on average. Mm. Um, 
and and we go through every album and you're right one of the cool things is is when i can get a musician or someone semi-famous um to talk about something other than themselves and they're happy to do it they're happy to talk about you know one of their influences in an intense way and i i do you know it's it's funny with this depending on how high up the food chain they are i i don't ask them to do it do a heck of a lot of homework um but you know i i do i do kind of hint to them like look i i need i need you to talk for 10 15 20 30 minutes even on two on one one album each and maybe even 45 to an hour on on your two albums Albums that we're going to pick for you. So, um, you know, I, I try to I try to find people. It, it's tough, eh? you know, right off the bat finding um, you know famous musicians who are um, who are that versed in one band who can do it and who will do it because right. you know they quickly realize that um, that I probably should do a little bit of homework to give this thing justice. So, you know, there has been a lot on Pink Floyd. There hasn't been a crazy amount on Pink Floyd, though. I, I suppose. You know, there, there's been there's been a moderate amount of books on them. You know, super famous, huge band, but um, they are a hard band to tackle because in this instance, we had to tackle all of those albums that people barely know, all the way up to Dark Side of the Moon, and then we have to deal with the contentious, uh, you know, the the non Roger albums, and then yes. the the weird final Endless River, you know, gets a, gets a full chapter as well. So it's a it's a pretty academic, cool exercise, and then of course these guys just knock it out of the park with rare photos and memorabilia shots and make it really nice too. Yeah. The book is is beautiful. I mean, it's all the way through all the, all the images, all the, uh, so it goes along well with your, uh, well-written text. It's, um, it's, it's quite nice. The publisher did a great job on it. Um, and a lot of people don't, I don't think the early Floyd gets enough credit. So, you know, I think, uh, if you can have uh, musicians talk about that, um, all the better. And that's that was what I liked about uh, the book the most, is uh, my favorite parts basically covering the early Floyd before Darkseid. I never, I never knew that uh, even bands like Voivod were influenced by Pink Floyd. Um, yeah. I forgot about that. I was, right? It was one of their biggest songs. They I, made a video out of it and had somewhat of a hit with it. Yeah, I was reading that and uh, I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that. But Voivod really was a, sort of an a, experimental extreme. You wouldn't think of them as uh, liking Pink Floyd, but uh, in the end, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. They were progressive. Well, you know, a, a lot of metalheads <laughs> like Pink Floyd, but, yeah. you know, it's funny. A lot of metalheads like regular Pink Floyd, and then a lot of metalheads like those first two albums because they're pretty dark psych. I mean, they're they're pretty they're, they're pretty kind of um, you know fairies and pixies uh, on one side with, right. with sort of Sid when Sid really gets into himself lyrically and and the music can be pretty soft too. But there's some there's some hard rocking stuff there too. And you know, it's Pink Floyd is in there. They don't get enough credit for being one of the first big proper at least UK psych bands through those two albums. So people like that dark psych era of those guys, you know, it's, it's, it is psych, but, but in, in essence, Pink Floyd could also be one of the bands given how early those records are. Um, and, and given that they became a big, huge prog band, and that's debatable as well. And a lot of people do debate that in this book, but essentially they're inventing psych and inventing prog. That was another thing I liked the, uh, when you do interview people, you get into the debate. Because um, yeah. I don't think they're prog, do you? 
Well, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because um, you know one thing I like to I I, I kind of joke about and it's kind of trite but kind of cool. It's like Pink Floyd made it because of spoken word samples and mm. no and sound effects. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like one of the most famous things about Pink Fo- Floyd is is how cool they stumbled upon this and they're one of the main bands that did this and they did it kind of you know relentlessly mm-hmm. or continually not continuously but continually um and people love um it there, there's just this mystery there's this cool thing about voices way in the background and voices period and hearing snippets of conversation and right. it sounds like you're you're eavesdropping on a phone call or something right um but but it's it, it is trite but but it is kind of cool that that uh in a sense one of the big things about pink floyd is they got famous because of bells and whistles right well you know it's so, Go ahead. That's one sorry. thing about you know, are they prog or are they are they not? Is is a little bit different because then you get into the, you know, two two main tenets of prog, and you know your prog, you know this as well. I mean, two two main tenets are concept albums, and or well, and uh, or um, you know, tr- tricky, complicated note dance playing and yes. weird time signatures, right? Mm-hmm. So Floyd, you know, as we know, kind of has one of those down, but but they are definitely not the other one, right? Yeah, but they excelled at uh, concept albums. Some sometimes the prog bands miss the mark. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was so languid and so slow yes. and so atmospheric and full of spaces. And David Gilmour exactly. does not play; he's not a technical guy. And and uh, you know, there, there's lots, and it's like slow food, right? Mm. It's it's basically, and and the funny thing is, their albums are actually not even all that long. So there's mm. just a few long songs, and that's all you get. They're mm. almost like, you know, in the CD world, they almost would have been considered long EPs, yes. right? Dark Side and Wish You Were Here and stuff like that. Metal. Um, well, I'm not saying. Yeah, I guess metal's pretty long, but um, but yeah, the the funny thing is. Um, you know, prog. I guess all the prog bands somewhat broke rules in various ways, but but you know, ad- adhered to certain. Uh, you know, your Genesis and your and your Yes are are clear prog bands, but Jethro Tulls. You know, I, I look at prog always as a little bit of a wheel with spokes, and it goes out and out and out and into so many different areas where you know people say, "Oh, why don't you do a book of prog album reviews?" Right. And it's like, well, where do you stop? Where does prog become jazz? Where does it become classical? Where does it become new age? Where does it become right. heavy metal? Um, it can go in, where does it become pop? Where does it become electronica? You know, literally the prog spokes go off in every one of these tangents. And, and it's a gray, uh, you know, a gray scale, a gradated scale that, that goes from, from, you know, the, the, the things we believe as the core values of prog into all these different areas in every direction. So there are no boundaries to, to what you could call prog. No. And Pink Floyd is is just another one of these quirky prog bands, I suppose. Metal bands did it uh, well if they took on the prog aesthetic. Like uh, I remember liking Watchtower in the early in the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. the, the time signatures, the change um, of, uh, you know, kind of moods in a song. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely I, I could see uh, some of the comparisons, but um, but it, see the problem with that is so so that's a specific uh, kind of prog metal yeah, that's yeah, like old school technical thrashy <laughs> prog metal. But then there's also you know 
emo emo grindcore mathcore relapse prog metal. No, and then there's also very <laughs> kind of happy and regular prog metal like on the Inside Out label and, right. and you know, these European bands and even Dream Theater. Um, Dream Theater is kind of more the heavy down the middle traditional Metallica-esque prog metal. But then right. there are there is prog metal that simply goes straight on a, on an axis towards, you know, and, and symphonic rock or power metal that goes on an axis towards regular, uh, uh, you know, uh, prog uh, regular prog rock so so there's so right there there's like four different kinds of prog metal let's go back a little bit where you mentioned that um it is now trite i agree if you do samples and stuff um little the bells and whistles when i hear bands do it now i kind of roll my eyes when pink floyd did it you know it was kind of new they kind of own it now you know yeah. Even in the eighties, when I heard Queensrÿche do Operation Mindcrime with all the bells and whistles, I I rolled mm-hmm. my eyes, and I love that album. Yeah. I love point. that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know that was pretty. That was only a a decade away, you know. But yeah. uh, I think the hardest thing with Pink Floyd would have been if you had to do uh, song by song. If you did all the albums, all the songs, I think you did it right way by doing albums. Do you agree? Yeah, so that's the other thing that goes on with Voyager. So I've done two, uh, all the albums, all the songs, and that was The Clash and Led Zeppelin, right? So you have to find for that catalogs that are not too massively long, catalogs that um, don't have long stretches of songs that nobody cares about, Um, uh, catalogs that don't have albums you know, that, that, that have kind of just regular rock songs and there's like 11 per album and they got five albums like that, right? So, so Clash and Led Zeppelin are, are pretty truncated small uh, catalogs where there's a lot of meaning packed into every song or a lot of, um, put it this way, I mean, with Led Zeppelin, maybe not, maybe not meaning per se in a lyrical sense every time, um, but a lot of kind of history and things going on and variation and arrangements. So Pink Floyd would have been hard to do that way for one reason the pre-dark side of the moon catalog yes Uh, i don't think people would want to hear me talk about every single pink floyd song for 400 to 500 words on whatever it is seven or eight albums before dark side of the moon it's it's incredible this is almost like the, the the poster child case of when old old rock stars complain or 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 remember wistfully the days of you know nowadays if you don't man, have a hit on your first album you get dropped i mean when they say that they're talking more about the 90s right you know nowadays it's a whole different industry altogether but what they're referring to is or comparing to is is the 70s mm-hmm. and the 60s so so people talk about rush that way how they wouldn't been allowed to go you know all the way through to at least 2112 you know that that was somewhat of a hit for them but they had a few albums before that but look at pink floyd mm-hmm. you know all those albums up to dark side of the moon one of the one of the fascinating things that that i always kind of have to remind myself is when they're making dark side of the moon they're just they're they're just a bunch of broke working musicians still yes like they they, they have like they have like eight or nine albums, you know, <laughs> including doubles and greatest hits albums and weird soundtrack albums, all this crazy stuff on a major label on EMI, and they're still allowed to keep making these records, and they're still a band. Somehow they're still managing to, uh, you know, to make peanut butter sandwiches and eat tuna out of the can and all this stuff and just, just get just get minimal uh, nutrition into them to to make it this far. It's not a lot of years, 
you know, that that's the, the weird thing to keep in perspective. Although, granted, we're talking, what, about 67 to, to 73 at that point. But they're cramming a ton of material in. But it, But it's funny. The band that is making this plush, amazing, high-fidelity, incredible album that's going to be one of the, uh, I'm not sure where it is, it's probably in the top five selling albums of all time, um, is, is, just, is just like your, your basic broke, um, you mm-hmm. know, working musicians at that point, which is fascinating to me. It is fascinating, because I'm thinking that if they were a U.S. band, it might have been different for them. If they maybe the U, the fact that they were from the uh, UK maybe that saved them um, because I know if they were in the US they might have been dropped don't you think yeah yeah and uh, and the tolerance I I just I couldn't believe that the tolerance for the kind of music they were making would have been there I think I think patience would have run out in the states I mean they practically I think of some of those albums almost as kraut rock albums mm-hmm. they're they're so bizarre right Amagama and yes. even Adam Hartmut yeah there, there's so much variety and weirdness and simplicity and rudimentariness too um, that's the other thing I mean to me to me all those records almost add up in aggregate to to really crude demos of metal and dark side and wish mm-hmm. you were here mm-hmm. because you know they're kind of a proggy band but they're also kind of a folky band and they're they're kind of an atmospheric band they're almost they're almost like there's almost like i say a, a kraut rock aesthetic or even a craftwork aesthetic to what they're doing because because they're almost creating you know soundtrack cinematic washes a lot of the time and and just crazy out there stuff too like like the soloy little bits on on um, a gummer or whatever right so yeah you wonder you wonder um you almost think that 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 you almost put a little bit of more um uh, you know, you, you, you call UK audiences and European audiences somewhat more impressive and uh, amenable to wacky creativity than American audiences. I don't know how how crazy true that is, but yeah, imagine those records coming out in the States and, and imagine, no. you know, a major label holding on to them for seven or eight records of that. I, right. I just couldn't. And like, I, I agree with you. I just couldn't conceive of it. Well, it's geography too. I mean, England's a small country, right? They played. They were hip. They're very big on the London scene. I mean, yeah. Pete Townsend was a fan. You know, you know, they were very hip among both um, fans and musicians. And yeah. if they were in, um, say, L.A., I just don't know if it would have been. Uh, I don't know how it would have happened. Yeah. Um, well, you know, come to think of it, you know, just thinking out loud as as you're saying this, they also they also were pretty good early on with with cranking out a few hit singles. So they true. Were, they were kind of a vital, semi-famous psych band, and that and that era lasts for you know a couple of years. So so they so they get a little bit of impetus going. So they're known. Then they get this weird soundtracky work, and then a couple of singles happen there, and they've got a few non-LP singles going on. Plus they have the light show, so they're kind of interesting that way. They've got good singers, um, you know, folky music. Um, there's quite a bit of folky stuff on those records, folky right. simple things, and that's that's pretty accessible, I suppose. But before Dark Side, I mean, they those hit singles weren't like say the Doors hit singles, which were no. more pop um, no. oriented and more American radio friendly. Yeah. Uh, so it's um, it is interesting. I I 
if you took a time machine and planted them in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God, no. But anyway, when I first got this book, I was so digging The Clash and um, Led Zeppelin, the, by the album, by the song, and I thought, oh no, I, I was hoping it would be by the song and and written just by Martin. And then, But then as I, I started reading it, it all made sense, like you said. Pink Floyd is more of an album band. Um, yeah. It just worked out so well. So um, I don't know what the reviews have been, but this is a great book. And uh, how, how has the, well, it's been out for a little bit now. How, has it been well received? Are you happy with it? I'm totally happy with it. I think it's been well received. There haven't been a lot of reviews yet. I know, you know, I'm I'm always a little nervous about both both of these concepts because, well, the one concept we've got two books, but this concept we've got five books. So right. the Rush sold amazingly. Um, I yeah. I know the Clash sold out. Uh, wait, Good. no, hang on. So the Zeppelin sold out. I believe the Clash almost sold out, and the yeah. Led Zeppelin went into another printing. So it seems like the, the all the albums, all the songs, totally written by me, just sit down and be totally intense about it. That seems to be working okay. Um, the ACDC, I'm not sure. The Rush did great. Um, so, but but the thing is, there's two more still to come. There's a there's an Iron Maiden to come and a Queen to come. So after we get to that point, and plus I'm not working on any more right now. So there's a bit of a lull. So we're gonna we're gonna get a test of about five of these to see what people think. Well, the thing, and yeah. I mean, the I, thing I, in publishing, you got to um, time it just right. You time the rush just right because their announcement of retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, the Clash are always sort of popular. So. Yeah. Um, but I found out that with Queen, um, sometimes you got to do it at the right time, and you will be if that comes out at the end of the year because of the biopic coming out. Um, right. Yeah. So um, sometimes you got to with publishing, you got to catch lightning in a bottle, right? Uh, people yeah. are interested in uh, a band again because there's so many, there's so much music out there, right? Even if they like yeah. the band, they got to be on their minds again. So. Um, yeah. Pink Floyd but is it like is interesting, the you know, like lining them up for these Where, things. So, so the sweet spot to do a, an, an album by album is really sixteen to twenty albums, um, and and again, not long stretches of things that people don't care about. And then the sweet spot for for doing the all the albums, all the songs, me write about every single song is about eighty to one hundred and ten songs. So those are those are usually two different things, right? Twenty albums is going to be about two hundred songs. Do you have this all mapped out to um, how long it will be going on? Do you will it be for next year as well? What um, the series itself? No, because uh, I don't have a deal for another one, uh-huh. and as far as I know, nobody else does either. So. Right. Um, although that you know that that actually could very well be there, there could be one or two other ones. I mean, we batted about many other bands to to do this with. Yes. Um, and some almost got there, and then and then you know didn't get the final approval or whatever. So I'm, you know, I'm a good four, five, six months without a deal um, for for either concept. May so, I make a suggestion? I, I think yeah. that the Pink Floyd, um, I, the way you that the Pink Floyd was written and uh, put out, I think Yes, the band Yes would be perfect. Um, and I know you like them, so... I like them, but, okay, here's the problem with Yes. Um, and I don't even think I've proposed Yes because of this problem. A, okay. 
I have a feeling Voyager would just shoot that one down immediately. That's that's the main thing. Okay. But the other problem with Yes is there are a lot of albums, mm-hmm. and possibly that whole back ten albums right. would be a little bit painful to do well, because you know Voyager also is is kind of looking at at sales too of sure. sales of not only how well will this book do but but you know right off the bat they're comparing to like how did how well did all these albums do so yes has a long string of albums right where you know a lot of people don't know them or care about them and then and then i think they've even got somewhere you know half the album is live and half of it's studio and that kind of stuff going on too right so yes is a bit of a complicated one but it, um, it would be great though if it was done in the same way as the Pink Floyd and yeah. album by album because they are an album band. You could yeah. never do it song by song with uh, Yes. That would just be an insanity, yeah. even more so than Pink Floyd. And the fact that there are two Yes bands touring or going to be touring. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, we've also thought um, I've proposed, and these have you know been bandied about doing an album by album where you don't do the whole catalog. Like sure. we've thought of doing album by album on Sabbath, and we've also thought doing album by album on Sabbath, just the uh, just the Aussie years, or, or no, not album by album on Sabbath, just the Aussie years. The, all the albums, all the songs, just on on the Aussie years. Seventies, eight albums. It's the perfect number right. of songs to do, right? Right. I mean, record companies do it all the time. I mean, the Supersonic yeah. Years was just released uh, by Sabbath as seventies forty fives. I mean, yeah. you could do that for yes. Uh, well, you could do like the late sixties uh, and seventies, you know, and that's yeah. it. Cut it out right there. And then the other thing I've been proposing and, and, you know, not really getting anywhere on, but I might go down the self-publishing route because I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not scared of self-publishing. Oh, yeah, you've been a master at that for years. Yeah, so I, I've thought of, you know, a lot of these guys, I just love some of these conversations in the Pink Floyd book. You know, my, you know, the favorite conversations, the, the marquee thing to get is, is the famous people and that's cool. But often the best conversations and it makes sense are, are the, are the total experts and those are often just super fans, you know, people who are, you know, in the industry of the fandom for a band, right? Yes. Or, or not in the industry, but just into it, right? And, you know, well, they're in fan clubs, they've written books on them, whatever. So sometimes some of these experts, um, you know, give the best material. I agree. And I've often thought of doing... Um, uh, on on lesser bands and self-publishing it. And I've actually talked to a few buddies about, because I love doing the Floyd so much, and I love, um, you know, the, the, particularly the Roger Waters catalog, I thought, why don't we do one of these on the four David Gilmore albums and the four Roger Waters albums? Nice idea. And, you, you know, know I, it may not be as sexy when it's first presented, that, mm-hmm. but, you know, you... Uh, in my experience, and I'm sure yours, you get more honest details from the people behind the scenes than you do from the actual musicians that, you know, like yeah. if you were to interview a Pink Floyd guy, uh, yeah. sometimes they're, you know, their answers are, you know, kind of pre-written. They're kind yeah. of, uh, you know... They've already gone over this, and they're just saying the same thing to everybody. So, yeah. no, I agree. That's what I got out of the book, and I always get out of books that uh, use uh, people behind the scenes and, and and talk to them about it because they're candid. Um, yeah. So what's the next? So what's the next one? What's the next book coming out? Iron Maiden? 
Yeah, Iron Maiden's next, and then Queen. So those are both album by album, but also at the printer right now is a self-published thing. I've, as I said, I've, I've repurposed Judas Priest and called it uh, Judas Priest Decade of Domination, and you know, massively expanded that material and added a lot more stuff and did more interviews. So basically, well, that's going to cover the beginning. Uh, you know, you could call Decade of Domination if, if you, if you know, the real deep inside baseball Jewish priest fans know they started in 69 but yes. essentially what I'm calling this is decade of domination you know it's 74 to 84 yes. which is the first album to uh, to defenders uh, so I'm going to do that uh, what else oh yeah so I'm going to also do a similar type of repurposing of my out of print Black Sabbath material and that's also greatly expanded but I'm just going to do the Aussie years for now and I might make that into eight separate little little Black Sabbath books, maybe six by six, and I might even illustrate those with drawings of uh, of rare memorabilia and ads and stuff like that, mm. and pictures of the band, um, just to do something different and put it on nice paper and have like a similar cover and maybe put yeah. it in a little box or something. Uh, what else? Um, I've I've half thought of some other bands that I could I could see possibly doing a book on. Um, coincidentally, Alcatraz, Aerosmith, and Anthrax started the A's. See, I like uh, when when you do smaller bands or bands that were underrated. Like for yeah. instance, um, take a band like Uriah Heep. Yeah, you know, do well, a... that's a long story. I, I've got a buddy who's like the ultimate heap expert, and he's been trying to do a heap book for 25 years. <laughs> and he has so much material that we could literally do a thousand-page Uri heap book. I, that that would be something, man. Yeah, and I love Heap. As you know, you know you're, you're my boss at Goldmine. You you had me write a review of their new album, which it's, is awesome. It is I, awesome. I was shocked when I heard it. Not yeah. that I didn't think they were up for it, but jeez. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I've done an interview with Bernie Shaw, the lead singer, and that'll be in Goldmine soon. So well, so. well, thank you for the time. It's always a pleasure yeah, to talk you. to you. And you know something. Um, we'll talk with more each time you put out a book we'll talk um, I I would love to this, the priest book we could probably go on for hours because um, <laughs> I'm I gotta a, ask you though Pat before we go what, yeah. what is your favorite couple of Pink Floyd albums um, well I, you know I'd like to be uh, go off the beaten track but it is Dark Side of the Moon and my probably my favorite is Wish You Were Here mm-hmm Cool. And the reason why I wish you were here mm-hmm. is because I just, uh, there's so many emotions in that. Dark Side of the Moon is great, and I will always be great, but it is a little cold, um, meaning cold and dark. It is the dark side of the moon, in the feel. Whereas yeah. Wish You Were Here is so, um, you know, you know who they're talking about, and it just... It doesn't have to be that particular person. That's who they were aiming their emotions towards. But for me, it it, it could just be you know the, the whole feel of the album. How do you? What do you? What's your favorite? It's, I just want to make a point about Dark Side that I always thought as a kid, and and it just this just stuck with me forever and all time. I I always thought it was the first perfectly recorded album. That is true. Of high fidelity it's like to me you know people debate all the intricacies of vinyl versus cd and all this stuff and flat and eq and all that to me a perfect recorded album simply because i worked in stereo stores since junior high like i was i was an audiophile and i'm less so now but i i basically had this attitude and it 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 came early to me 
a perfect stereo or a perfect album is where you don't have to have the treble turned up all the way and you don't have to have the bass turned up all the way. It I gave agree. you enough of both, right? So Dark Side of the Moon always, to me, I always consider that album, 1973. After that, um, basically technology can give you everything you need it to give you and and at that point it becomes all your recording choices become choices um you know more so more so that happens in another way with pro tools and today where you know you can make a perfect sounding album in your bedroom that kind yeah. of thing right hmm. but basically i always thought after dark side of the moon anything you do if if you make a bad sounding album after dark side of the moon it's your fault That's well kind of what i thought yeah and a lot needs to be a lot of credit needs to go to Alan Parsons, don't you agree? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah mean, for sure. Behind the console, well, my, my favorite, uh, my favorite, hands down by a long shot is Animals. It always was. Okay, yeah. that's 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 up there. That would yeah. be probably my third or fourth selection. Yeah, um, I love it because it's just brutally dark, um, and it's just uh, it's just bleak. Every everything about it kind of like lines up. I love the album cover and the inside. I love the lyrics. And it's, I love it, the concept. And it's like a, um, you know, it's it'll never be dated. It's like Orwellian. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it, it could be, you could go a hundred years from now and pick up that album and say, wow, that's relevant to the times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah, and you know it's it again. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it it bothers me a little bit that it's a little short, um, and you know, it, it kind well, of has a, re, a reprise thing going on with it as well. But that's the vinyl. That's the, that is the downside of vinyl. You can only put so much. You can yeah. only release so much. Well, it could have gone a little little longer. I mean, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I. I remember, I remember certain albums that were almost up to an hour long, and they didn't, they didn't seem that bad. But, right. but I, when, when the cop out is, it's got to stay under thirty minutes or under thirty five minutes. I think, <laughs> I think they're lying a little bit. I, I think, uh, I think forty five minutes is probably, maybe, you know. Maybe that's all they had to say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love it. I mean, I and I love the. I think I like the Roger side a little more than the Dave side. Yeah, I'm a I Roger love, fan myself. Um, yeah, I I just uh, that last album he made is just a masterpiece. I just play it over and over and over again. I love Amused to Death, and I I just love all of them. Right. Well, and, and but Gilmore is one of my favorite guitarists. Uh, mm -hmm. He is amazing in how he plants his solos and. Um, that's one of the characteristics of the band that I think that made yeah. them so, you know, if Gilmore didn't step in, I hate to say this cause I love Sid Barrett too, but he made, he completed the band. I yeah. think he, he, he turned them in the direction that they would become the famous band they are today. So, yeah, I love his voice as much as I love his guitar. Yes. Right. And on that note. We'll complete this little little podcast interview. Thanks, thanks a lot, okay. Martin. And we'll talk more, okay? All right. And I look it. forward to reading your Uriah Heap interview. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, that was fun. Bernie, Bernie was great. So, yeah. <laughs> Take okay. care, man. Yeah, talk to you later. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Martin. That was Martin Popoff. His latest book is called Pink Floyd, album by album. You can pick it up at your select Barnes & Noble and other great bookstores. And also you can pick up Goldmine Magazine at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and select record stores across the country. You could also go to goldminemag.com, and then you could get exclusive content. There are giveaways. There's also a percentage-off subscription price, which is great. You don't even have to go to the store. You can have it delivered to your house at a percentage-off 
And you get a free gift, which is a digital price guide, a record album price guide. Okay, well, we'll see you next time. This is the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine. Thanks. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You just bought a home in the suburbs, but no one told you about all the birds, specifically this one, who seems to be calling out Roy. Roy. But who exactly is Roy? And why doesn't he ever respond? Maybe Roy is just bird speak for save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. I guess until Roy answers, we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.